0: So hello and welcome to All Four Quarters, your one-stop shop for news views and overreactions to all things NFL. This week we'll be looking at Carolina, perfection and protection, what they should be doing in their run-up to the end of the season. I'll look at some of the injuries to some of the contenders and how that might play out. We're also going to look at the elite quarterback controversy down the Ravens between Jimmy Clausen and Matt Child. Then as always, we're going to look at some of the games from last week. Take your questions and also look forward to next week's games. So hey guys, you've got uh, Connor here alongside Harry. Hey, how are you? And Ronan. Hi there. So uh, yeah, we've got a new microphone, feeling all fancy, feeling all uh, professional. How's
1: yourselves, lads? Hi, yeah, doing alright. Uh, still still working away, still taking up. As much of my time as it's contracted to, which is more of my time than I'd like. Uh, <laughs> I do miss the doll. It did have its wonderful, wonderful positives. Yeah, that's it. Free money. Oh,
0: what about yourself, It's
2: Week before Christmas holidays, uh, whiling my days away, mostly spending it this week on... Putting together our mentions list uh, of how many, how much each team has been mentioned. Maybe at the end of the season, we can reveal how biased we were.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's it's definitely interesting reading. We might we might let the let the listeners in on that uh, closer towards the towards the end of the season. Yes, I'm I'm similar enough myself. Uh, just trying to get the the tail end of uh, Christmas presents bought for everyone. It's a bit of a bit of a pain in the arse, a bit slow going, but uh, that should be grand.
1: This is great. It's been Hanukkah for for days, and I haven't had to buy anyone a single present. <laughs> Oh god, so jealous, so jealous. <laughs> till I get those sweet Santa presents.
0: <laughs> Thanks, Jesus, for leaving presents under my Christmas tree. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Yeah, so I suppose we'll kick off into, into some of the some of the news this week. So yeah, Carolina are looking distinctly strong at the moment, having not lost a game so far. They've only got three games left. There's only one team that can really challenge them for the first overall seed in the NFC, and that's the uh that's the Cardinals. Uh, so I suppose we're just gonna have a wee chat about where we see this team going. Are they going to start protecting starters? Are they going to keep everyone playing out there and go for perfection? Or what do you reckon? Just for a bit of context, their their final three games are at the Giants, at the Falcons, and versus the Bucks. So I suppose I'll go to uh, Ronan first on this one. Uh, what's what's your thoughts on this, Ronan?
2: Well, I think like it's kind of interesting to see where we are. Like this is obviously Ron Rivera was a coach traditionally known as conservative, but really turned this team around after what was a fairly slow start. By taking over the idea of Riverboat Ron, and over the last year, two years or so, he's managed to turn what was a struggling team into now what is so far an undefeated team this season. And obviously, that that record actually stretches back into last season if we only consider uh, regular season games. But like, it's an incredibly tough decision because like the the hypothetical will always be there. Like like imagine that saving their players actually like helped them win the Super Bowl, although it would be possible to know that. And then they're asking that question of. If they lose the final game, tap a bay, because that's the one that they're most likely to have secured everything, number one seed and all. We could have been the like second undefeated team ever. I think it's an incredibly difficult choice to make, and it definitely comes down to some interesting decisions, because... When you look at the last couple of weeks, there have been issues with all their like major offensive stars. Greg Olson and Jonathan Stewart both had knocks in the last game and Newton had a hand injury and had some issues with concussion last week. Like it's just that it's an impossible situation to find yourself in. The interesting thing to note is that Ron Rivera in his comments in the last couple of days basically was talking about when he was uh, working with the Bears. He was talking about how they took all like, they stopped playing their starters. In the final week, because they had a like a first round bye, they felt that they were rusty. Lost the uh, divisional game, and they felt they were rusty. Like I think that kind of indicates that there is probably a chance that he will make it happen. Because if they're because like, you know that Cam Newton isn't going to want to stop playing. Cam Newtons want to kind of keep going, going, and go for that record. And most of the players on that team will want to do as well. Because this is a team that has a good team spirit and you know good selfie potential. So <laughs> I think like there's a lot of factors for it. And with a with a team which relies a lot more on team spirit than say like the Patriots might be, they'll probably keep playing till the end. Oh yeah,
0: like this is the thing. The big the big question I always find whenever it comes to these ideas of do you rest your starters or not is one. Obviously, there's momentum that you build coming out of the back end of the season and take that with you into the playoffs. I think obviously that is slightly lessened whenever you get a week off anyway, which they are now guaranteed, I believe. But there is also an element of people being rusty coming back from that, people not being up to full football playing strength and whatnot if you were in that position would you be taking players off and trying to say look make sure you're 100% going into the postseason or would you be saying look if we're playing well we want to keep that fire lit underneath us and we want to take a good bit of momentum into the playoffs with us
1: when you're undefeated at this stage I think you have to go for it I think the idea of like beyond all of momentum and everything the idea of saying you know we had this historic thing the potential to be yeah, the second perfect team in history or even just the second team to win all 16 games in a 16 game regular season that's a huge motivating factor and if you sort of say oh we're just going to sort of give up on that i think that's sort of psychologically not necessarily where you want to put your team and Mm -hmm. the position you want to be in if it's there i think you go for it because if you get that the boost that will give your guys going in they're going to feel absolutely invincible and when you look at the three games they have to play this is important that you mention that they're three extremely winnable games so it's not like they're going in and being like oh you know we'll, we'll play all our starters someone could get hurt and we might lose one of these games very yeah. easily is that going to be worth it it's a case of well no look these are three teams we can definitely beat so what I think we'll see is we'll see them play their starters from the start and then at halftime we're in the third quarter depending on how the yeah, game is going back off they're going backwards. to pull them absolutely and I think that's, that's the difference between being undefeated and even if they lost one game you probably look at them being more conservative because they don't need to because there's no sort of historical thing at play there's no um, potential for the same level of motivation to be gained that yeah. you have and if you look at the injuries they've been picking up yeah it is a little bit concerning but with the exception of uh, the cornerback Ben Wickery who got uh, a fractured leg I believe and has gone for the basically gone for the rest of the year the slot corner none of those injuries are particularly serious so I think we might some protect the players a little bit more uh, You know, to sp- spell them maybe a little bit during the games take them off a certain way through the uh, second half depending on how the game is going but I think they're going to absolutely want to do this because it's going to lead them in so much of a stronger position, psychologically for themselves, and also psychologically for other teams who have to play them. Because for all the motivation of, oh, you know, you want to beat the perfect team, you're still going up against the perfect team, and you know this is a team that's been extremely tough to beat, and that's oh, yeah. going to play on your mind. So I think for that reason alone, we're going to see Carolina absolutely go for this. Now, if they, by any chance, do drop the game either against the Giants or against the Falcons before the final week. Then the final week they'll definitely be I'd say be resting their starters mm-hmm. but as long as they keep winning, I don't think they're gonna change the personnel. yeah of
0: course and like like you said it's not exactly like you look at the Falcons and go, oh no that's a defense that's gonna wreck us like it's not a terrifying murders row of defenses they have to play it's not exactly where you expect to see a huge amount of injuries come from apart from you know the type of injuries that come from inexperienced and terrible players playing you and making mistakes. The Cardinals are the only ones who can challenge them. They're two games behind them, I believe. We're looking at them playing at the Eagles, which shouldn't be too hard a game for the Cardinals to do. Then they have got the Packers and the Seahawks at the end of the season, rounding the form, wanting to have, again, similar, a bit of motivation, a bit of momentum going into the end of the game. Seahawks will be playing a very important game against the Cardinals at the end of that, even if it's not... To beat them it's also psychological to go in and say they might have beaten us in our division but we can beat this team in the playoffs. Those guys have tough games that they might want to consider resting starters for more so than Carolina do. Arizona have to play two very hungry teams. The only team that's hungry that... Carolina player, the Giants and they're terrible. They are the kind of people who are hungry but can't figure out how spoons work. Like <laughs> so I don't I don't really see it being much of a problem for them. Yes, there's a couple of knocks on Olsen, Newton, Stewart, but yeah, so like I I would hope to see them go for perfection but I can very much see this being a spot of let the first team go on for the first half, go up by a good bit, and then let them rest towards the back end of it. Speaking of the kind of knocks that they've taken on, there's been a couple of injuries to players. we'll, uh, We'll just look at the ones on teams where they'll probably have an impact on what will happen in the postseason, season given this is late in the year I suppose we'll kick off with Harry on this one we saw a couple of injuries to the Bengals Dalton has gone for at least one week we keep getting conflicting reports as to how long he's going to be gone some said he'd be back this week some said he'd be back by week 17 some said he'd be back by the playoffs and some say he won't be back at all which could be a problem with uh, McCarran stepping in and talking up his Brady game something fierce <laughs> uh, and then we also have injuries to Eifert and uh, Burford so like what do you think that's going to mean for them, Harry?
1: Well, the Dalton injury isn't an immediate concern if it is just the one week, because cincinnati have got a relatively easy game this week, so they should probably be okay. Got to love McCarran's confidence, if not his uh, ability. He looked fine, serviceable. Again, rash, inexperienced player, but perhaps playing for a team that, once Dalton went down, wasn't hugely invested in winning the game and knew it probably wasn't going to be able to mm. dig himself out of, out of a bit of a hole um, without that. The loss of Eifert is perhaps a bit of a bigger blow. He's been a rock on that offense, really. He's had a huge breakout season, particularly when you have a young, less experienced quarterback. Having really good tight ends is one of the most important things you can have because it gives that security. It gives a guy on the shorter to um, to intermediate routes. It gives a big-bodied, safe-handed guy who you can trust and rely on? So have we
0: have we gotten kind of a fi- final update on like what he's what he's struggling through at the moment? Like I know it's kind of this. I think it was initially it was a head injury of some description, and then yeah.
2: Well, I believe Eyford is currently in concussion protocol, ah, but this right. is the first time. There's another like injury appearing in the last few weeks, so it's kind of building up that like, especially for someone who was out with a lot of injuries in his first two seasons in the league. But for now, it's just a concussion protocol. But that means he'll probably be out for at least this week.
0: Yeah, yeah. and Burford is out you'd... with a bit of a neck thing as well. Yeah, or he was he was he was in and out of the game. I did like actually that he only he only left the game whenever they took his helmet from him, so he couldn't go back onto the field. He kept sneaking back on around. Like coaches and stuff Because he wanted to keep playing So they stole his helmet So he couldn't I think, I think we've probably been
1: through Why injured players Getting onto the field Is perhaps something of a problem In the yeah. NFL For a variety of reasons But yeah well, I've Eifert in concussion protocol And obviously With a guy like Tyler Eifert You obviously want to avoid A Jordan Cameron type Situation mm. going on there right? But in the short term For the Bengals I wouldn't be Hugely worried Like they've got They're in a position where It is now a little bit Of a cushion over Pittsburgh But they are still In a pretty strong position They've got a game That they should be able To win this week anyway even with McCarran under centre they still have an incredibly talented roster even with those injuries like Burfitt is talented but they still have quite a good linebacking core anyway so they're mm. probably going to be going to be okay in, in that respect and it is San Francisco so, they're playing so. exactly well yeah exactly. yeah, exactly. I, I, yeah. Uh, it, so it, it's not going to be the end of the world for them the problem is if you know Dalton's injury does linger if it's more serious than they initially thought if he doesn't recover well uh, and then you're looking at a situation where you could potentially be going into the playoffs with A.J. McCarron as your quarterback, and that when Cincinnati should start panicking.
0: Oh, of course. And I would also say A.J. McCarron came out and he said, uh, oh, sure, this is exactly how Brady started. Uh, yeah. You know, I'm, I'm ready for that. I, I would remind him it's also how Matt Castle started, <laughs> and that seems a lot more in line with how you've been playing, son. Next, did we're going to have a quick look at, I suppose, fits for this one, because it is your team. Rawls is now out for the season. Is it a broken leg of some description? Broken okay. ankle, uh,
2: but uh, according to Pete Carroll, it's primarily ligament damage that uh, is basically why there's no chance of him making it back this season. Okay, oh, I thought you were going to uh, say Pete Carroll's like, get out there, son, come on, power through. <laughs> has been like, him and Todd Gurley have basically been the two most impressive uh, like rookie running backs this season by a pretty large distance. Yeah. And to see him go down in this fashion, uh, like he was already like gutting the... The Baltimore Ravens for like forty yards in the first quarter. Um, so he was showing his talent again, and he and like he had definitely been part of making this offensive juggernaut that the Seahawks to be building the last four weeks like really tick. And when they lost him, even though Russell Wilson against what is you know a terrible Baltimore team was able to pick up the slack, you have to worry about uh, how. Able will be able to do that against the better teams, which they're likely to see at this stage in the playoffs. No, but one thing it does open up, obviously, is takes from what was kind of a side issue, which was the, the return of Barshawn Lynch, beast mode, come from something that would seem like kind of optional, like we want to see him back, but we have roles and so we're happy to ride him, to like a priority issue because the like Seahawks running backs right now are like Bryce Brown, DeWan Harris and Fred Jackson. Like Bryce Brown had just signed off wai- waivers this week has been on and off the team. Obviously, hasn't really shown that much so far. But he'll have a chance to uh, show his stuff again. And he has done okay in the past, though with major issues with uh, fumbles. DeWan Harris fumbled the ball. He got like uh, less than three yards per carry. Fred Jackson got less than three yards per carry. So it will make a massive difference. Now the uh, next two games for the Seahawks aren't too bad, so like that's okay. But for the playoffs, it'll be interesting to see that they'll probably might have to accelerate bringing Marshawn Lynch back
1: Roman it's like you're going to need like sort of former Buffalo Bills superstar backfield there between uh, Lynch Jackson and Bryce Brown which is a little yeah. concerning
0: <laughs> yeah so the other ones that we had is there's two injuries to the Pats of note uh, Blount and McCourty
1: what do you think of that Harry? Don't really care about Blunt He's a very situational player He's useful in certain instances But even for a powerful Between tackles guy He does struggle against Tougher defences So it's it's annoying That you lose an option But it's not irreplaceable He's not central to our game plan Unless we're playing Indianapolis McCourty (laughs) is a bit more worrying He is a very 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 good free safety Um, He can cover at corner even though he doesn't like doing it Uh, Without him I think uh, Jaron Harmon is the next guy there Along with Patrick Chung at strong safety Like Harmon is fine Chung is a good box stuffer but not great in coverage So basically the problem with McCordy is we essentially lose our best coverage safety um, And a guy who's been very useful in helping two talented but inexperienced cornerbacks over the top Uh, Yeah, getting. I I don't think it's a particularly serious injury I think it's just a bruising on the ankle and lower leg So he should be okay in a week or two I uh, wouldn't be too concerned about rushing him back, but he's a guy we definitely will want to have back in the playoffs because he is also the leader in that backfield. He is also the captain, yeah. um, and he's a guy who's just beyond his own talent is really useful to have when your corners are talented but not that experienced. Yeah, no, fair
0: enough. And the only other one, really, of the of the kind of competitor section that uh, was an injury with Sam Shields from the Packers. I suppose let's move on to the biggest issue uh, that we have this week, uh, <laughs> Ravens quarterback controversy. Now, I, <laughs> I, I, I thought this was a joke initially, but then uh, Fitz convinced me of the, the desperate importance of this as a news item. We have uh, Jimmy Clausen versus Matt Schaub. Fitz, do you want to give us a bit of, quick bit of background on this?
2: Yeah, like Jimmy Clausen came in to the uh, Seahawks game. Uh, due to Matt Shaw being out with an injury or just embarrassment. Uh, he threw up 274 yards,
0: only one interception, and no pick six. In terms of the Ravens, this is the height of what we can report on for the Ravens this year. They have quarterback controversy between Jimmy Clausen and Matt Shaw. So I suppose we're going to move on to some of the games. Oh, I
1: don't get to make any jokes, that's,
0: that's oh, me Oh, go on, you can make some jokes. I don't have any jokes. <laughs> Wait, well, I have one more joke
2: Matt Shaw. <laughs> <laughs> on that note, I'm done. <laughs> Daddy
0: when will the Baltimore Ravens win again quote the Raven nevermore (laughs) let's move on to the games from next week so we're going to look at four games this week Uh, one good two neutral zone and one dumpster fireside chat Uh, we're going to kick off with the Thursday night football, Minnesota eight and five take on the Arizona Cardinals eleven and two. I might belie what the result was, given that those are their new uh, their new <laughs> win loss rankings. Arizona win twenty three to twenty in a very tight game that went all the way down to the end down to a field goal. Arizona managed to keep Adrian Peterson in check with only three yards per carry twenty three carries for sixty nine yards <laughs> and one nice. touchdown. Palmer looked very sharp in this game uh, through his thirtieth and thirty first touch. Breaking Kurt Warner's record from 2008, Freeney was the man who kind of saved them at the very end. But also, he got paid. Did you see this, guys? Freeney sack earned him two hundred thousand dollars in performance bonuses. And from this point on, throughout the season, every sack is worth a hundred grand to him. So if there's ever a reason for someone to get a sack in the dying moments of a game, to really dedicate in the fourth quarter, Freeney's going to have it. So I saw a lot of spark here from Arizona, but it wasn't exactly a dominant performance. Uh, like, what, what were your thoughts
1: on them there, Harry? I thought Minnesota's defence actually stepped up after a few kind of not great displays. Um, I thought we saw much better work from the linebackers in coverage of the short routes and, going, and the running game. I think we also saw uh, just a bit more pressure coming in. Arizona were able to stand up to it, but I think Minnesota were playing a bit more like they are capable of doing. Also, Teddy Bridgewater actually had a really nice game. He played smart. He made some good throws. uh, And in a game where Adrian Peterson was largely ineffectual, I think he showed that he can, to an extent, carry that offense despite a lack of uh, a lack of talent in the receiving core. Uh, also, Mike Wallace reappeared for some reason. That was yeah. weird. Um, I kind of forgot he was there. Yeah, I, I, that was that was strange. But no, it was just uh, yeah. Minnesota just looked a bit more together, and I think perhaps the wobbles they've been having in the last few weeks got the coaching staff to knuckle down a bit more and come up with something a little bit different and make them try something harder. Arizona do seem to quite often get themselves into dogfights and then pull away, and in this case, they just didn't. Yeah, they weren't able to really put the hammer down. Minnesota ultimately ended up. Having well, it's, it's North Tur- North Turner is still a coach there. They ended up having a bit of a nerve moment with the play, which Teddy got strip sacked on by Freeney, calling mm. bizarre flood route um, where nobody got was going to get open for about four or five seconds while <laughs> the pocket just collapsed. People were just flailing towards yeah, him. It was, it was I, I feel, feel bad for Jordy. I had no time to do anything there. But that's ultimately, I think the the big difference there was that Arizona's O line were able to stand up a bit better to some pretty hefty pressure from Minnesota, whereas Minnesota's O-line struggled and then when it came down to the crunch couldn't couldn't make the plays.
0: No, of course not. To be fair to them, it was a strong game from, from, from the Vikings, especially given they had four of their key defenders out. Barr was missing, Joseph was missing, uh, Sandeo was missing, and Smith were missing. If they can put up a performance like this against a team like Arizona, who we all hold in quite high regard here on this podcast, is this a team that could provide a bit of damage in the playoffs, could hurt someone in there? Because if they could play this well against what we think is a playoff-caliber team, and they're missing four of their defensive starters, when they get a couple of those guys back and they make it into the playoffs, which I think we all think they will be, what damage do you think they can do in their fits?
2: Well, yeah, like you saw a really good performance from, from this week. But last week, with pretty much the same team, they got gashed by the Seahawks. And then a few weeks before that, they got gashed by the Packers. So it's kind of hard to put a read on this team. It's like a team which is very much at the moment highly inconsistent and i think this is a really good game for the vikings you know except for the result obviously <laughs> so at least that they could like, there was very much kind of a feeling that this was a team on the decline or that it was kind of just like, kind of limp into the uh playoffs based on like a like early season record but i think having this kind of game will help them in that sense it did come down to a couple of like real mistakes which is the problem like like, obviously, like, NFL, like, evenly matched NFL games often come down to simply one or two big plays. Obviously, that sack at the end is a perfect example of that, when they could have gone for the field goal already, and they actually said that was definitely something they were considering, and then they didn't get rid of the ball quick, and they just let it get sacked and then a strip sack happen. Highly unlikely, but it can happen if you're not taking care of the ball and then obviously we saw something like the Adrian Peterson fumble earlier in the game, which also gave more uh, momentum to Arizona. Like this is a game that Arizona perhaps should have lost, but because the Vikings made a couple of mistakes in pretty important spots, the Cardinals were able to get it done. And that's kind of been uh, the Cardinals at times in the season, because at times they've looked dominant beyond belief, and then at other times they've had to get into these dogfights. But the thing is, that in their case, they've managed to win most of this. And that's probably why people have them as the second favourite right now, because they, they keep winning even though ne- they don't necessarily deserve to win. And once again, we saw that array of firepower from the Cardinals, which the basically, the Minnesota Vikings don't really have right now. It's that kind of difference, uh, making ability, which kind of makes it up. Well, obviously with the exception of Adrian Peterson, but there's only so much he can do. Honestly, I, I don't know how they'll do. Like they could knock someone off, but I wouldn't be happy to, like, put a bet in it.
0: So we're now back into the neutral zone, uh, we're going to have a look at two games in here today, so the first one we're going to look at was uh, Indianapolis Colts, now at 6-7, took on the Jacksonville Jaguars 5-8, champion Jaguars, best team in football, they dropped a 50-burger on them, the score was 16-51, to 51. Jacksonville got their first 50-burger in the franchise history, and bizarrely... Nearly did the entire lot in the second half. Forty-two points coming after the half. There was a lot of injuries. It was a great win for Jacksonville and possibly a good argument for there being a two-tier system of like NFL, uh, where we just take the AFC South and the NFC East and we just let them play a little like championship cup side competition between themselves. <laughs> I'll go to Fitz on this one first. What does this mean? The Jacksonville Jaguars are able to score fifty points on the Indianapolis Colts. Please explain what this means to me. I think we can just merge like the
2: South and the East into like the boxhall Conference. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, like it, it means exactly what it means. Like Indianapolis right now are a team that looks like really bad, and they've let, like they don't look like their defense can hold anything up, and their offense is just question marks everywhere, like a. An ancient, an ancient boar really looking bad. Obviously, some off season moves such as Andre Johnson also not really, like, not really working out. And Matt Hasselbeck, really working his way through the season, but showing his age and showing that he is just a game manager at this point and they aren't managing a game. Hasselbeck obviously is out in injury, so we might even see more clipboard Jesus. But in terms of Jacksonville, I think this is like a really good game. Jacksonville, because they've had some pretty horrific losses this season. Like the Ravens springs to mind, for example, where they like they should have won and they should have done well, and they've had all this explosive talent in offense that for them to finally have a game where they just went, okay, let's like obliterate this team. And obviously, like like obviously, this is a division rival who has for most of their history like teabagged them incessantly. With their continuous good luck with number one picks. For a chance for Jacksonville to lay their first 50 burger on the, their rival, the Colts, and to really stick it to them and show that this is a team that could arrive while also making themselves relevant again for the playoffs. That's a real statement. And with the way, and with Brian Hoyer going out with a discussion, with a concussion, and now TGA, now perhaps been in charge of the Texans, there's every chance that they could sneak into the playoffs, especially with the Colts and the Texans playing each other this week. It's its really good to see, because Jacksonville is a young team, it's an exciting team, and it's good to see a franchise which has had so much poor luck in its short history finally have something to look forward
0: to. No, of course. like This brings you on to the next part we're going to go to Harry for, is that basically this does open up the South to an extent, although I do think there's an element of grim inevitability that whoever wins in the Indianapolis-Houston game next week will be the ones who will go on to win it. Jacksonville at best now can end 8-8. Eight eight. They get to play the Texans, which means they can bring the Texans to eight losses and end up tying up the top of that division. The Texans, the best they can get to is 9-7, and seven, and they play the Colts, the Titans, and the Jags, so it's all entirely in their own hands. We're going to do a bit more in-depth next week on where we see playoffs ending, who's going to be close, what's going to be important,
1: but like, what, what does this mean for the South? it means it should just be shut down everyone should go home the Patriots and the Cardinals and the Panthers can field B teams like Barcelona do yeah. like this is just this is just a mess like we're making fun of the of the NFC's for the same reason So none of these teams it's not only that they're not that good it's they're not even good enough to separate from the other bad teams in their division and they keep losing to each other and in this case getting absolutely dumpstered by each other. It's kind of exciting... No, it is exciting, actually, from the perspective of, oh, you know, this could go down to the wire. It's going to be great fun if Jacksonville make the playoffs. It's even going to be great fun if this Indianapolis or Houston team makes the playoffs because, my God, the game they're going to be in is going to be interesting. It is actually... It is genuinely quite concerning that, like, in a league that prides itself on parity and... or the potential, anyway, of such parity, that you have a division that, while all the teams in it seem to be on a level of parity, is just so far of a step below the rest of the league. And you look, for example, Indianapolis's season how much they've been reliant on in-division wins to keep themselves oh, going and yeah. now even that's gone for them, uh, with the with the team descending into into what it is. I think it so, says a lot it, I
0: saw a couple of different uh, fan sites running polls, uh, a lot of the ones who were in the hunt for wild cards and kinda of close up on that. So I just I saw the Chiefs one in particular. <laughs> was, if, I never thought this would be a legitimate question, but I genuinely struggled with it. They said, Which would you prefer? Playing Denver or one of them at home in KC for the first time in the playoffs or traveling to Indianapolis. Yeah,
1: this, this <laughs> <is like laughs> exactly what I was going to say. Literally took the words out of my mouth is that one of the wildcard teams is going to be like looking at this being like, oh, hello. Fifth uh, seed, it looks fantastic. Uh, right exactly there. the same situation in the NFC with the NFC East, but at least with the NFC East you've seen teams capable of pulling off upsets occasionally out of the bag and winning tough games like, I suppose, like obviously Philly beating New England or just the consistent performances from Washington just gritting out wins at home. You you look at like any of the three teams that are still viable from the South and you're like, we could take them home or away, really. Because even look at the explosive offense of the Jags. Their defense is awful. Look at Houston's sometimes quite tough defense. Their offense is a mess. And Indianapolis, just as this game showed, have nothing. really nothing either side of the ball. The best thing to come out of this game for Indianapolis... Was that NFL.com's uh, photo of, of Charlie Whitehurst of Pipptese has his hair down on his profile, and it is magnificent. I mean, if this quarterbacking thing doesn't work out, I mean, let's face it, it hasn't really. He has got a future as, of a, a, as a L'Oreal spokesperson. He's the David Ginola of the NFL. Excellent stuff. So
0: yeah, terrible performance from Indianapolis. Great job by Jacksonville. Nice to see them uh, yeah. kind of just 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 go to town on someone. Always one, fun to see. The
2: one wild card in the side, just to finish up, is obviously Andrew Luck. He is, I believe he's back in training this week. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see whether they try to rush him back or what happens there. He obviously wasn't playing too well in the season, but that's an end. And another little uh, storyline we'll probably be seeing over the next couple of weeks. Oh, yeah. Like no,
0: I have a feeling that'll play into the stuff we're going to be discussing next week. Knowing going the rush him back and J.J. Watt will knock his head off. Oh, that'll be phenomenal to watch. So we're looking now at uh, the 6-7 Buffalo Bills went and took on the 6-7 and seven Philadelphia Eagles in a 20-23 to boring-as-fuck game. It was tight... The end was kind of exciting, I suppose. Uh, Very pedestrian passing performances from both teams. Uh, Both about 250 yards, both one touchdown and one interception, and both one sack. Um, Lashawn McCoy played an okay game, but was super pissed off afterwards. Because he spent an entire week mouthing off about how Chip Kelly was a racist and he was going to beat him up, and then they lost. Bills are essentially gone from the wild card now. Philly are now tied atop the god awful NFC East.
1: Uh, suppose Harry, we'll kick off with you on this one. What did you make of this game? Yeah, it wasn't the wasn't the best game in the world. It was. I think we saw Philly do things a little bit better than they have before, and I think we saw Buffalo make the same mistakes they've made before. And I'll explain that now. So, like with Philly. The thing we've always said and saying all year on the podcast is sort out the run game, sort out your carries, sort out what you're doing. And this week I think they did. I think they are like, okay, fine. Chip Kelly basically sold his pride and went, Darren Sproles is the running back on my team most suited to my scheme. And they ran with Sproles, then Matthews, then Murray. And that worked better. That worked better than what they've done before. That worked better than trying to force it, trying to run this sort of hybrid power spread thing that just isn't, isn't suitable. Um, so that was a positive Philly. Also, the play of Sam Bradford looks more improved, perhaps getting a little bit more comfortable in that, uh, in that offense, a little bit more confident. So that's the positive. So then, despite overall not being a stellar performance, also, uh, Fletcher Cox is just a beast. He had another fantastic game. Uh, didn't One of the things that showed up a little bit on sheet, but not too much, but it was all about the pressures, the hurries. Like, he was getting penetration, he was causing problems, so we hope that he can keep playing at that level. For Buffalo, it was, it was the same old story. Really, like, the inconsistency and the indiscipline. Buffalo, I can't remember what the number was, had an insane amount of just false start penalties on the offense. And the thing is, it's been mostly defensive indiscipline this season that's been costing them. And see that then transfer onto the offense. And again, this is the thing about Rex Ryan. He goes in with a fairly loose game plan that we've already commented about how he's bad at adjusting. But I think a part of that you can see comes into the discipline, in that, like, Rex Ryan is a very emotional coach and it works very well in certain scenarios. But when you need a team to be tight and win a critical game, sometimes it just isn't there. And I think he's got, to look at, he's got to look at his own approach there and be like, why is it that my team can't stop giving up penalty yards and can't stop getting penalised ten times plus per game? So, again, frustrating for Buffalo, critical situation, Philly keeps them alive in the really, really strange NFC East race, but... For them, I think what they've seen here is the beginnings of perhaps how they can start winning some games that are close that they might otherwise have lost.
0: Yeah, no, of course. And it is, is—it is like I was saying, positive to see them moving to what we've been saying for the last 13 weeks. <laughs> uh, you know, maybe someone should hire us as NFL head coaches. That would be a terrible idea. So we saw, we saw an interesting uh, post-game press conference with uh, Rex Ryan. Not quite as meltdown mode as he has been beforehand, but essentially kind of looking a bit morose and saying, oh, you know, there's a strong chance that this has probably cost us it and you're right it has there's also been rumoured flying as well that uh Sean Coy did not go back home with the team and hung around Philadelphia for a day or two afterwards uh Rex has made a point of whenever that question's been asked him to say look I don't want to talk about it right now so uh seems to be a bit of divisiveness going on in that locker room uh itself but I suppose fits like obviously this means Philadelphia are in the running for that clusterfuck in the NFC. But Buffalo, like where does this leave them? Obviously their playoff dreams are probably gone at this stage. But like what can they hope to do with the rest of this season? What they should be looking for going into the off season?
2: I think it kinda of shows like what we've been saying, like what we've been saying for a, a fair few weeks now is that like a Rex Ryan led team is a brittle team. It is a team that, like, when it's good it can it can amplify, but when things get tough, doesn't know what to do with itself. And we saw this game, a must-win game, uh, like we saw this near the beginning of the season when they played the Patriots and they were building that up, and then they, you know, summarily just got spanked. We see it in games like this where, like, their season is on the line and then they just make all of these easy mistakes. Like, where it leaves them as a team, it's tough to say. Like, they probably show enough growth. They have, like, so many promising pieces there, uh, especially on offense, which is where they probably had the most question marks coming into the season. In Tyrod Taylor, they have someone who's shown a lot of potential, but it's also shown recently he may have limits. So you're kind of stuck in that. that we should probably, like, we, if, like considering how hard it is to find a franchise quarterback, this is probably the guy we're going to stick with. They have LeSean McCoy, who obviously, this game uh, is completely complete like, clusterfuck for him, but has continued to play well. They have Carlos Williams as well, who has looked talented in the opportunities he's had. They have Sammy Watkins. Like they have a lot of pieces there. They have the talent really. It just needs to be used more effectively. And there has to be question marks about whether Rex Ryan is the best coach to just calmly get the best out of those players. Or is he actually going to be an impediment to them? But it's really, it's a really tough spot for them because they're kind of in that good but not like good but not bad zone. Stability should be your, your emphasis. Especially with, obviously, Rex Ryan only having one season so far. But you also have that intrinsic, like, temptation to believe that, like, we've seen this story before, and it hasn't started even as well as the Jets story when Rex Ryan started. Are we basically just playing into the same type of situation that the Jets ended up being? Are we going to have, like, butt-fumble situations, meltdowns, stuff all over the news? Are we turning the bills into a sideshow? But... It's kind of difficult to opt out now. It's probably gone too far and we'll have to see what happens next season.
0: Fair enough. Uh, the one plus, I suppose, is that he didn't start interviewing himself in his own press conference, which was <laughs> that was that was just bizarre. I, I was genuinely worried for his sanity at that point. Which yeah, I suppose uh, we're going to move on. and Have a quick look at one final game in the dumpster fireside chats. An interesting one: San Francisco at four and nine took on the Cleveland Browns at three and ten, and the Cleveland Browns won in a twenty-four to ten matchup. Jonathan Pigskin hath returned, uh, and more importantly. The running game showed up something fierce for the Browns. Isaiah Crowell had 20 touches for 145 yards and two touchdowns. Duke Donson had 13 touches for 78 yards. Which I might add, Duke Donson, their second string running back, had more yards than the entire San Francisco 49ers had in this game on the ground. Which is very worrying. Blaine Gabbert was physically assaulted. Nine sacks in the game. (laughs) It was was brutal. Uh, I want to keep this quick because... Like, this feels like something someone should be handing in in a police report rather than something we should be discussing openly, at least before pre- charges have been pressed. Any takeaways from this, Ronan? This is mostly about the brands,
2: like the 49ers. We kind of know what we have in the 49ers, I, Like I think the 49ers right now are playing their the depth for, that they will build upon going forward. But none of these players right now are probably going to be their starters like a year or two from now. Uh, It's just, like, these are players who might get backup roles. Blaine Gabbard being a good example, kind of, like, putting a good show for being a decent backup. Like, Sean Drone being a good, like, backup, stuff like that. What's interesting from the Cleveland side is obviously Johnny Football. What have we got in Johnny Football? Puts up a good, like, a good game. Like, put up a decent game against the Steelers this season as well. And what we saw right here is that when Johnny Football had the risk of doing the read option, the running game, which has been putrid most of this season, finally opened up and we saw something from some exciting like young backs, Isaiah Crowell and Duke Johnson. Like the problem with this is that it's luring, it's like maybe he is our franchise quarterback. I don't think the current coaching staff is that, you know, setting him, but the current coaching staff probably won't be next year's coaching staff. So we have a really interesting thing right here. And, like, Johnny Manziel, like, with these performances, are they going to make him a starter? Will he be, like, really nice bait, trade bait? Like, these, a couple more performances like this, in the last three games, we might see some really interesting off-season moves coming around Johnny Football.
0: Yeah, no, of course. Like, that's what we're going into. And now to have a look, as I was going to say, Johnny Manziel looked okay, but he's got a very tough next three games in front of him. He's got at Seahawks, at Chiefs, and then versus the Steelers. Like, this is going to be a rough overall end of schedule for him I'm not sure how much you're going to see like obviously it'll be tough but I, like, it's hard to, it's hard to gauge someone against that kind of that kind of competition you've got the Chargers and the Titans tied with Cleveland currently for the first overall pick and these do not look like three games that the Browns are going to win during what's your thinking Harry what's the best case scenario for Johnny Manziel in these games are they going to be looking to trade bait him is this something he can win himself a starting job and make them not look at Quarterbacks in the draft
1: Well uh, I think To be honest Given the schedule and Given the defense He's up against I think the best case scenario For Johnny Manziel Out of those three games He comes away with all His limbs intact <laughs> um, Like I think he's made A reasonable start, At showing he can be a starter I think he'll take the opportunity Whether or not he succeeds that Who knows He's shown flashes of brilliance He had a decent game after he uh, headbutted a uh, head-butted the tablet, which seemed to make him into oh, a better yeah. player. Which that's legit. how you
0: absorb knowledge from it's them, uh, or so I understand. Touchscreen kind of technology
1: <laughs> in in the it's same way is the in the same way as the uh, the Tony Romo Lions scenario. It worked, but um, there's no real like there's no real hope for Cleveland of you know making obviously making any out of the season. Or I don't think they're expecting a sudden surge and suddenly knock off all these tough teams. So I think if Manziel plays well. Um, I think it'll give them pause for thought and perhaps draft a quarterback a bit lower. I still think they're going to be looking at their options in the draft. The real problem for Cleveland is that this was a victory for Cleveland in that very cleveland sense of victory, and that it wasn't a victory at all. If they lost this game, they basically got that number one pick on lock. It was oh, their last yeah. chance to throw away the number one pick, and my God, did they take it with both hands! Oh yeah, obviously, not really. You can't blame them for playing playing well, but you do wonder if uh, you know their motivation in this game was you know particularly for Manziel was to show he can do something, whereas the Niners' motivation was to go home to bed.
0: I do kind of love the fact that like the 49ers lost to the Browns and are still going to be picking behind. Oh, it's just it's just. Oh, like, we find, we've constantly, week on week, found things to call the Sadness Bowl. And this is, this is getting pretty close to peak Sadness Bowl. But yeah, terrible game, depressing times. Well done, Johnny Football. You've nearly cost them the chance to draft your replacement. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> I suppose we're going to move on to some of the questions from the listeners. We have two questions in from listeners we're going to do with this week. Uh, the first one comes from Michael. He says, uh, could anyone in the NFC actually compete in the playoffs? And he says, the Giants in particular. No? <laughs> uh, that's that's my obvious answer. What about yourself? Harry, what do you think? Could anyone in the NFC actually compete in these playoffs?
1: Well, it's, it's the NFL. You know, nothing's impossible. Strange things happen with the Giants in the playoffs, but given what we've seen so far, not really. I mean, obviously, all of these teams in the East have shown that they are capable of winning games in the sense that they have literally won some games this season. But when you look at who they'll be playing um, and the standards set by some of the other teams in that, it's very tough to see any of them progressing. It's always possible that one of them might win a wildcard game, like if Minnesota, for example, just don't bother turning up. Which is very possible And um, they get
0: lost In their team bus On the way to the stadium
1: Well yeah uh, <laughs> Entirely doable But no Realistically I, I can't see them Being massively competitive Whoever it is Could pull off an upset In the wildcard round But I think that's going to be The absolute extent of it
0: Yeah so it's like Who do we reckon Will be the NFCs? Well we'll discuss this More next week But like, like no. who's, who, who could be the most Troubling team To have to play Not emotionally But like In actual football <laughs> terms <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think emotionally, Washington have that. so oh, yeah. Like, yeah, Roland.
0: Like who 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 would you say would be the most dangerous NFC East team to end up playing? Given that there's a likelihood that it will be your team that will be playing them.
2: Well, it's
0: kind of tough to choose, obviously, because uh, this division is full
2: of teams which are tough to choose between. The Giants are historically the team that you don't want to play in the playoffs because reasons. Because like Eli. Blood magic, presumably. Like, he, like, stole the power from Peyton when he was a young boy so that he could win in the playoffs. And then Peyton is cursed never to win in the playoffs.
1: Except the two of them
0: press their hands together, they transform into one successful all the way
1: through quarterback. No, they transform into Cooper Manning.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But, like, right now,
2: uh, on form, I would probably be most afraid of the Eagles only because they're the least predictable. Like, the Eagles are the team which... You kind of, you don't know what they'll be like each week, but if they start getting running into form, they're probably the team with the best uh, scheme to actually take you on. Like, the one thing to take into consideration, so I'd probably have Philly and then the Giants less, but that's probably exactly what the Giants want you to think before they beat you and then go on to beat the Pats in the Super Bowl. Yeah. So, yeah, that's how I would see it based on actual, you know, football logic and probably the reverse based on voodoo magic logic. Fair
0: enough. Um, yeah, I think I'm, I'm pretty much in agreement with this all here. Uh, one of them is going to be in then playoffs for one game. They're not going to be able to compete properly at all. I'd say of them, probably the Giants are the best equipped just because they have bits and pieces that are good. They've got skilled players at positions, but yeah, like none of them are going to do anything particularly exciting. The next question we have comes in from Richard. Uh, this is a very interesting question. Should the Jets make the playoffs? Morally Is how we're going to Interpret this question Do we think it is Correct and proper For the Jets To make the playoffs Is it in their
1: own interests Uh, Harry I do love how Philosophical this podcast gets I really do I also love our listeners You are all wonderful people And like I don't know where It would be without you Um, Should the Jets Make the playoffs I don't know I mean Realistically We have to look at What they do From a perspective Of moral purity And what they do Merely because they are Compelled to by the law And if they, you know, win enough to make the playoffs, they're certainly compelled to by the law, but that doesn't mean it's actually correct to do so. They're not thinking about why they're doing it. So I don't... I think the only people who can answer this question are the Jets. I think we have to see them look into their hearts and see what is it that they think will do the most good in the world. What is the pure ethical basis for saying that they deserve above every other team to go to the playoffs? Because winning is just a construct. Success is just a construct. And you they've done nothing to prove themselves to be morally more deserving than any other team. True. I would pose this
0: question to you now, Ronan. Are the Jets, if they were to make the playoffs and go to the playoffs, not becoming an intrinsical part of a tyrannical machine upon which their moral uh, <laughs> their moral obligation is to strive against and to destroy? I would say no,
2: for it is written in the prophecy that we have heard much of in the last weeks that it is the fate of young Ryan Fitzpatrick to cleanse the NFL. First step to doing that is to stop rapists making the playoffs. I mean, alleged rapists. Uh,
1: <laughs>
2: alleged Who knows? But it is part of the prophecy, which I will... Uh, spoiler alert, will be coming up later. Ryan Fitzpatrick shall cleanse the NFL of all hatred and of all questionable officiating decisions and make it a perfect, harmonious league. And then in its 50th year it will elevate from the from the ground and shall go to, like, Alpha Centauri, probably. Alpha Good, uh, uh, Roger Goodell can go there first. Shoot him in a cannon. Should work
0: fine. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Oh, that's
1: just like your opinion, man. <laughs>
0: um, yeah, I'm in agreement with that. Uh, we are going to be doing a lot more discussions next week on the actual playoff picture and everything, but uh, presumably the answer that he's... Well, not the answer he wants to hear, but the answer that he was looking for us to make is, no, fuck no, Kansas City and Pittsburgh. Yeah, probably. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, let's move on to next week's games. So we've got... uh quite an interesting amount of agreement this week we've only got three that we disagree on and to be honest there's there's two that we agree on that we were kind of close on so we're going to go quick swing through all the ones that we agree on and we am going to go to the guys and myself for just one line or two just on quickly why we've all picked that way first game uh Tampa Bay at St. Louis we've all taken Tampa Bay Ronan why is that because St. Louis are bad.
2: Todd Gurley came back a little bit against Detroit, but that was probably just due to Detroit basically giving up on their season after that, like Hail Mary. Uh, and Tampa Bay have looked alright. Uh, lost against the Saints. Uh, yeah, so give to Tampa Bay. They've looked better over the season, so on average, it's give to them.
0: I'm interested in how long your one sentence. Protruded for. It's like that.
1: What, you know, Lots was, of semicolons. It's just that video, like one sentence to uh, explain the rise of ISIS, and it was like a five minute long video. The world's <laughs> longest run on sentence. Okay, New York
0: Jets at Dallas. We've all taken the Jets in this game. Why is that, Harry?
1: I'm going to be very brief on this because Dallas suck balls.
0: Fair enough. Uh, we're not saying that in a judgmental way. It's just an observation. Uh, Kansas City at Baltimore. Uh, we've all taken Kansas City. Baltimore are terrible, Kansas City are pretty good. Houston at Indianapolis, Uh, this one was one that we're surprised we didn't get any kind of devices on. Although I suppose one of these teams did just 51 points scored on them by the Jacksonville Jaguars. We've all taken Houston. Why is that, Ronan? Because we don't know who the Colts are playing at quarterback. Because Houston,
2: even though they got beat by New England, have a good defense. Because, yeah, there's too many question marks in the Colts and too many old players in the Colts. Tennessee at New England. We've all taken
1: New England. Harry, if we lose this game we should wind up the franchise. Like Tennessee are a fun team. They've got a lot of potential but they just have way, way too many weaknesses for New England not to be savvy enough to take advantage. And we're going to have players back. Chicago at Minnesota. We've all taken Minnesota. Minnesota are a
0: good team. They looked much better last week. They're on the rise, they're looking to lock down a playoff slot. Chicago are good but flawed. Next game, Carolina the New York Jets, we've or New York Giants rather, we've all taken Carolina. Why is that, Ronan? I believe Carolina are
2: undefeated, though so I will probably give it to the undefeated team. Well with more Eli on our I expect this week.
1: <laughs> Fair enough. Atlanta, Jacksonville, we've all taken Jacksonville. Why is that, Harry? Uh, Yeah, the Atlanta train on fire falling off a bridge into the Rapids full of alligators continues and will continue against a Jacksonville team that's going to be pretty confident after last week. Excellent. Green Bay at Oakland. We've all taken Green Bay. I so nearly took Oakland in
0: this one. I think Oakland are a good team, but they lack strength in their secondary. To beat Green Bay, you need to play press man, and I'm not sure if they can do that. Green Bay are poor, but their running game is coming back into it, and they've looked a bit better, and they're looking to finish strong. Cleveland at Seattle. We've all taken Seattle. Why is that Fits. Seattle have destroyed
2: teams recently, especially bad teams. Cleveland are a bad team.
0: Ergo, Seahawks will destroy Cleveland. Fantastic. Cincinnati at San Francisco.
1: Oh, God, this is going to be an execution. We've all taken Cincinnati. Why is that? You know, I actually don't think it's going to be an execution. I think this game is going to be a little bit tighter than people expect. Because I think, you know, with AJ McCarran and stuff, Cincinnati aren't going to be quite as explosive. And San Francisco, at home, their defences look good. On the other hand, San Francisco just lost to Cleveland. So, of course, Cincinnati are going to win. Yeah. <laughs> True fact.
0: Denver at Pittsburgh. We've all taken Pittsburgh. This is one that I was expecting us to see a little bit more divisiveness on. Uh, Basically, Denver are holding an alright job with uh, Osweiler under centre. They do have wear back, but Pittsburgh are the best offence in the league at the moment. Uh, So yeah, that's pretty much it. Uh, And then, final game we're all in agreement on. Arizona at Philadelphia. We've all taken Arizona. Why does that fit? Because the Philly defense, with the exception of its front, uh, Fletcher
2: Cox, uh, in the secondary of the week, and that's exactly where Arizona are strong, expect the you know, multiple-headed monster that is the Arizona wide receiver core to have a very fun day against this Philly defense, and Sam Bradford continue to be you know, not good.
0: So now we've got three games that we are in disagreement on. Uh, oh, two of them are mine. oh So we've now got Buffalo at Washington. Uh, I've taken Buffalo. Fitz has taken Washington. And Harry has taken Washington. Harry, why have you taken
1: Washington? This is going to sound very familiar for the last few weeks, isn't it? Mm. Washington at home against a team that seems to be sputtering, um, particularly on offense. Buffalo, we know what Buffalo's deal is at this point, I think. Um, and I think that they've sort of hit a stage a little bit of a sort of a mental wall now particularly with the season going and we just saw so many mistakes so much indiscipline come in in the last couple of weeks that they've struggled with all year sort of a lack of direction in the game plan of where they're they're going up against a team that has been tough and gritty and really has it like not to be cliche but has it all to play for this week like this is a game they can't afford to lose against a a team that really has nothing to gain from it so yeah I, I think Washington are going to psychologically have the edge I think given Buffalo's Issues on offense Where we saw in particular With the offensive penalties They kept starting further and further back And that exposed Howard Taylor's limitations With the deep ball um, Washington's defense has been quite uh, tough And I think underrated this season Other than Sammy Watkins It's difficult to see what Buffalo receivers Can actually be able to get open And do some damage here Yeah they'll probably get some going in the run game uh, Whereas Washington God knows what will happen with, with their run game Kirk Cousins is probably going to Do okay against a defense That has been playing below its level And looking a little more disorganised over the last few weeks. So again, yeah, I just think Washington are just going to be able to grind this one in the way that they've done so many weeks and pretty much exactly what they did against Chicago. Possibly.
0: Yeah. Like I think Buffalo have a good roster, have been underperforming of late. I don't think they're in tailspin mode or anything right now. I think they're not mathematically removed even though they are practically out of the out of the race, so that's an issue. What I do think is I think this is a game that Washington can afford to lose given that they uh people that they're tied <laughs> with are playing Carolina and Arizona. Like it's not gonna be the end of the world. But yeah, I think Buffalo will want to show that they are still developing, they want to get stuff on track, make adjustments and show that they can take this unit and move forward next year in a positive way. This is the level of opponent they need to be beating to be at that point, so I think it's a very important game for them as well. Uh, Fitz? Yeah,
2: it, it kind of comes down to that like talent versus form. Like you, and like, It's not even that Washington's uh, form is that good, but like they look like a team who's getting the best at what they have, while well, Buffalo just look like a team that is finding ways to lose these tough games, which decide their season. Right now they're at an ebb, and like as I've said many times before, like I don't trust I don't trust the Rex Ryan team to turn it around when the chip, like when the chips are down, when things are like when the season is effectively over. I expect Washington will have sufficient, you know, willpower effectively to take uh, take on Buffalo and rack up another pretty uh, important win at home, since their away form continues to be pretty uh, terrible by all accounts.
0: No fair enough Just bear in mind They can't win If the other two lose Because there can be Only balance In the
1: NFC East And Dallas
0: Parity and Parity and Dallas Yeah Parity and Dallas <laughs> you got to give them A week to catch up Oh god The uh, The next thing I'm going to look at Is Miami at San Diego I've taken Maybe San Diego Is what I've written down I've taken San Diego uh, Fitz has <laughs> taken Miami And Harry's taken Miami Harry why Miami <laughs> I I, I was really hoping
1: you weren't going to do the San Diego thing and make me spend another week defending Miami. Both of these teams are bad. (laughs) Miami, good enough. No, no, no. no, no, no. Miami have a a sometimes have a semblance of an offense. San Diego this year have less times had a semblance of an offense. Uh, Even when Miami have struggled, Lamar Miller has still had some quite nice games. Jarvis Landry and so on. Neither team has a semblance of a defence at this point. So, yeah, Miami's offence will probably be able to score more points than San Diego's in a game in which neither team is capable of defence, basically.
0: Fair enough. I think this game is going to be terrible. I think San Diego are going to win because Miami are slightly more terrible. I think San Diego are probably more terrible than Miami, but not losing at home more terrible. Yeah, like, I think San Diego did some nice things last week against the Chiefs. It wasn't pretty, it wasn't a great game, but, like, there's still some bits there. Miami's defense is weak, so they'll be able to do a bit of stuff. Like, just don't watch this game. Like, I would love if this game ends up, uh, and this is my hope a 2-0 win to <laughs> San Diego after Miami allow another safe. That would be perfect and completely deserved. Uh, but yeah, like I'm going San Diego. It's more a f- gut feel than anything else, uh, and it'll stay that way because there's no way in fuck I'm watching this game.
2: Yeah, like, honestly, I think they're actually worse off at home right now just because it's so depressing, like considering the whole, uh, you know... Uh, subtext that the team is probably not going to be there next year, and like how bad they have been this year. Like I think they almost prefer, like you know, they got to go to Har- Arrowhead this the, like last week. That had some atmosphere. That's nice. So instead, they get to go home again and play the Dolphins in a meaningless game. And that's exactly the kind of game where, like, the Dolphins are playing for their like for their jobs. That like to a certain extent, like they're playing for like the the audition is already starting in Miami. Because it will almost certainly be a new coach. And there is more talent on that team. While the, 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 the Chargers just look sad. Like if they had won last week against the Chiefs, maybe they'd have some kind of reason to keep fighting. But at this point it just kind of seems it's not even a divisional game. It's just a meaningless game against a meaningless team. <laughs> and the Chargers have managed to lose most of those types of games.
1: Kind of sad. Uh, go Dolphins. Yeah. I really got really to pick up on one thing, which is the home field thing. But this struck me particularly. I think the Oakland game is the best example of this. Those have not been San Diego home games. Like their their fans are silent. They are so depressed. Um, they're being out, basically out, outvoiced by away fans consistently this year because they just know that it's all going to crap. And as Ronan says, they're all leaving. So I wouldn't, I would not give them an edge because they're at home.
0: Oh no! I just, I just meant more that they don't have to travel. No, okay. it is a long, a, long a, long a long trip. It's a long trip. It's nothing to do with the home field advantage. Jesus Christ! I've seen a few of those games. <laughs> Good God! Do you know? Do you know what the one thing that strikes me about this game it is? It's going to be terrible. This strikes me as exactly the type of game that they send over to London. Oh God! Especially with the slate we got this year there's a depressing thought they, actually Miami would have or it's like San Diego would even have more home fans at a game in London than they would uh, <laughs> they would there just because they were like oh it's a holiday the final game that we've got a disagreement on finally not one that I'm on my own on we've got Detroit travelling to New Orleans uh, so I've taken New Orleans Fitz has taken New Orleans and Harry has taken Detroit Detroit just lost to the St. Louis Rams just saying uh, Fitz why are you taking New Orleans Basically, uh, based
2: on the last game against the Rams, it looks like Packers have once again like shoved a dagger into the hearts of Detroit, and they just looked like a team that had lost its purpose. After putting together a nice little like mid-season like you know run of decent play, it, they just seemed to fall apart uh, and just look really bad against St. Louis, who obviously aren't a very good team and have looked really bad and now Todd Gurley to basically run all over them. So you, you put that against New Orleans who have in recent weeks uh, shown that even though they can't defend they sure can uh, they sure can attack. They sure can throw the, the ball up and get a lot of points. And I think like New Orleans is a team that kind of seems to have more of a point to prove uh, just to say they're still relevant and still there. Like I just think there's more life left in New Orleans while Detroit's Based on last week, just looked like a team that, after that dagger to the heart that was the Hail Mary uh, by Aaron Rodgers, are done for the season and don't really to do playing for Colmo anymore.
0: Yeah,
1: Harry? Well, look, I mean, there's no real shame in losing to the Rams because as much as every team in the league should beat the Rams, the Rams are capable of beating every team in the league because they're the Rams and they don't make any sense and they hate everyone. No, that, okay, though, I... I I can't justify that. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, but okay, so I picked New Orleans for the upset last week, and I'm picking them to be, I guess, upset this week. The reason's fairly simple. When you look at that Detroit game, obviously it was coming off a big emotional thing as Ron correctly identifies. They also regressed to playing like absolute idiots, like they have at so many other points this season. I don't think it's going to be particularly hard between two weeks, going into one, a game against the worst defence in the league, for Caldwell or Cooter or somebody to put their arm around Matt Stafford point at Calvin Johnson and be like, maybe this time throw him the ball. He had 16 <laughs> yards in the last game and he wasn't getting targeted. So like, while Detroit, yes, were horrible, horrible last week, the problems they were having were incredibly easy things to fix. Just with scheme and decision-making and the plays you're calling, they, they, they are not big problems. And they do still have talent on offense uh, in the receiving core. They're going up in incredibly weak defense from New Orleans. New Orleans um, lost... Lost their best running back, and yeah, okay, they, they did okay this week, but Tampa Bay can't tackle, that's... I mean, cool. Like, Tim Hightower should not be gashing you. Yeah. I can't remember the last time Tim Hightower started the game. I'm not sure that ever happened. But there is no... He was out of the league for like three he years. He was, he was like... out of the league for a very long time. You're not actually, fair play to him. It's nice to see people come back and actually take the chance, but in okay. fairness, you still be able to shut a guy like that down. So New Orleans aren't going to have that big thing that we saw St. Louis take advantage of against the Lions... So I just think the Lions have just too much explosiveness in the passing game to be contained by a New Orleans team that just is still defensively utterly inept.
0: Fair enough. My approach is Detroit is garbage, their city is garbage, <laughs> their people are garbage, they shouldn't be called the Detroit Lions, they should be called the Detroit Mustafas because they're dead in the ground.
2: <laughs> what
1: the fuck? Where did that come <laughs> from? <Reed is> good. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Oh, God, I don't know if we can even use that. It's a just bit...
1: too harsh. Did you just, like, once buy a four car and it was just shit? No, it's just, a like terrible. No, look, honestly,
0: right, the Detroit Lions are just a very, very poor team who had a bit of a bounce back and looked like they were okay and have now had their hopes and dreams crushed again. There's no point in feeling good about them. They are terrible. They're not going to fix their schemes because they're terrible. New Orleans are terrible as well, but New Orleans will score more points than them. This will probably be a quite a high-scoring game and will probably be entertaining enough to watch if you hate defense. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like I said, Detroit are now the Detroit Mustafas because they're dead. We mourn their loss, but we don't really because we never really liked them in the first place. Everyone preferred Scar, right? Jeremy Irons?
1: <laughs> yes, everyone preferred <laughs> uh, the Lion who was a very thinly disguised literal Hitler. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks
0: for that. Thanks, Connor. I just (laughs) met the voice, man. What the fuck's up with you? Too soon, too soon. Hmm. Alright, so that'll do it for that week. Uh, next week we're going to be looking at the playoff pictures, uh, see what's happening, what's not happening, what are the most important games to look at in the last you know, week or two, and then rolling in over the Christmas period. Yeah, as we always say, guys, drop us a line with questions, uh, comments, anything like that you want. We should be up on live on iTunes this week as well, which would be good fun. Uh, we'll, we'll drop a line out on Twitter and everything about that.
1: No, I know we've been saying that for the last like three or four weeks, but this time... It's actually confirmed. Yeah, they've We're actually emailed be...
0: us back now, so that'll be good. Um, but yeah, no, that was good stuff. So uh, any other crack at yourselves? Or has any plans for the week? Yeah,
2: well, I'll be coming up to Dublin this weekend, so perhaps possible chance
0: of another live podcast. Hey ladies, watch out, Ronan's in town. Oh, Fitz <laughs> <baby.
1: laughs> oh. is a, a playboy of the world. Um, you know, you can't control him. Yeah, inertia okay. it's powerful <laughs> my inertia a- is powerful baby <laughs> what, you know those guys like you know, those weird guys those, what they call the pickup artist, and all they got the like creepy shit in the books oh, Rodan's written one it's just a page long it just says inertia is powerful
0: <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even write this down I got someone else to do it <laughs> oh lord but yeah no it should be good fun <laughs> Fitz is up on the weekend couple of drinks around Dublin games on Sunday uh, I'm loving this new mic it's good fun <laughs> I'll be playing around with that for the next while. but uh, yeah, good stuff. Uh, thanks very much, guys. I suppose uh, enjoy the games during the week. Like I said, drop the line if you've got anything you want to say. Uh, chat to you next week.